Well, amen. Praise the Lord. It's our pleasure tonight to have Brother Mark Tolson uh, with us. Brother Tolson is a missionary and has been a missionary uh, in China uh, for eight years, I believe he told me. Um, another Vision Baptist representative, as a matter of fact, um, he was the first. He was the inaugural. As a matter of fact, he helped plant the Vision Baptist Church in Alpharetta, Georgia, and um, get everything started there. And he was the inaugural, um, he was the guinea pig. And uh, it has worked. It has worked. And uh, just had a great time of fellowship with him at lunch. He probably got tired of me asking questions about ministry in China. That intrigues me. It intrigues me, ministry in China. Uh, where you're not supposed to be doing what he's doing. Um, but I'll let him tell you all about that. Church, help me welcome tonight Brother Mark Tolson, will you? Thank you so much. It's good to be with you this evening and excited to uh, share a little bit uh, about our ministry in China, what God has done over the past eight years, and uh, tell you a little bit about our family. Uh, my wife and children are back in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, the children are still in school, so they're not able to travel with me at this time. Uh, but they're there, and we've, we've been serving in China for eight years. And uh, we've seen God do some pretty amazing things. And I'll uh, tell you a little bit about that, then we'll watch the video presentation before we get into the preaching of God's Word this evening. Uh, but when we first arrived on the field, the first thing that a missionary does is he has to learn the language. And uh, the Lord tasked us with learning the easiest language in the world, amen, Chinese. And uh, so we started learning the language, but we knew one thing. If we were going to learn the language, that God was going to have to help us. Uh, because with it being a hard language, we knew that uh, God had called us to the country. And so we went forward by faith learning the language. And uh, God uh, shed his grace on us. And after about two years of learning the language, uh, we felt that we had enough of it to be able to move off on our own. And so we moved to a different city. And the city that we moved to is called Dalian. It's going to be the city that you see in the video and Dalian's a city of six million people in one city. And when we got to that city, we didn't know any other Americans that lived there, or any other Chinese that lived there, but we felt that God was calling us to go pioneer a work there by faith. And we said, okay, God, we'll go. And we got there, and we got our house set up, we got everything set up, and we started to try to reach out to people and invite them to come study the Bible with us, and a couple of people came, but nobody really seemed that interested. And I was kind of discouraged one day, and I was praying and asking God. I said, God, help me to find somebody that would be interested in studying the Bible today. And I got done praying, and I took my Bible. I went and got it and started walking around one of the university campuses. And I walked around for about an hour just looking for anybody that seemed to be interested in talking to me and, and anybody I could bump into. And walked around for about an hour and didn't have any leads. And I said, okay, God, I'm just going home. So I went, went over to the road to catch a taxi, and on my way to the road, there's a group of three young men standing to the side. And one of those young men, he turns around and looks at me, and I kind of look at him, we make this eye contact, and I said, okay, God, I'm going to go talk to that one. And I walk over to him with my Bible, and I get over there, and he looks down, and he goes, is that a Bible you're carrying? Now, this is communist China, so you're expecting most people don't know what a Bible is, and so he looks at that, and I said, yes, it is. I said, do you happen to be a Christian? And he goes, yes, I am. 
And I said, well, where do you go to church? Because that's the next thing you want to know if you're in communist China. If you meet a Christian, you want to know where they go to church. And he says, well, I moved to this city uh, for the university, but I haven't been able to find a church to attend. And I said, well, would you happen to be interested in coming to my house and studying the Bible with me? And he said, absolutely. And uh, God answered our prayer that day, and uh, he started coming to our house and studying the Bible. And he had just enough faith to believe and was a believer, uh, but he had never been uh, baptized or discipled. And so we started discipling him, and then we took him out of the ocean, and we baptized him. And uh, he started to grow and started inviting his friends. And make a long story short, we ended up renting a small uh, little apartment near the university so that he could invite his friends to come. And we're there, and our goal was to try to plant a church. And so we're there, and we're trying to reach out to the community that, that we rented the apartment in. And we saw some fruit from that. We started seeing some people get saved. But he was inviting his friends from the university. And his friends were coming, and they were learning. And it took them a while to understand the gospel. And you say, why is that? You've got to understand in the country of China, when you're giving somebody the gospel, most likely you're giving it to them for the very first time. And what that means is, if you go to somebody and you say, would you like to go to heaven? They're going to respond with, what's heaven? And you explain to them, well, heaven is the place that God resides. And they say, who is God? And you go on and you continue to explain to them that the only through Jesus, the Son of God, can, can they come to the Father and they say, well, how many gods do you Christians serve? Because they've never heard it before. And it takes a while to explain the gospel. And we're there and we're explaining the gospel to his friends. And finally one day they understand it and they come to me and they said, Mark, we understand what you're trying to tell us, but we don't believe. And we're going to stop coming to the Bible study. And man, that was a hard day. And we said, okay, God, what's next? You know, and this was the, the day that we were dreaming of as missionaries on deputation. You know, we dreamed of getting to the country and learning the language and being able to preach Jesus in their heart language so that they can hear the gospel. And we're here and we're preaching to them and they hear it and they reject it. And we know in the Bible that oftentimes when people reject the gospel, they just go to a, a new place. And we didn't need to change cities because we had six million people still around us. But we thought maybe God was leading us to go to the other side of the city. And God had burdened our heart about a different part of the city. And so we started going on that side of the city and we started a Bible study over there. And we started inviting people to come doing the exact same thing. And we started seeing people come, unbelievers coming and asking questions and just going through the gospel of John. And learning the gospel for the first time. And then again, after several months, we started seeing people respond to the gospel. Amen? We started seeing people get saved and discipled and baptized. And then we were really excited about what God was doing. Everything seemed to be going forward. And we had the original Bible study that we started on this side of town. And then we had the new Bible study over here. And we said, well, let's put those together and meet a, rent a new place somewhere in the middle. And then we'll have a bigger group. Amen? And uh, so we did that. We put the two groups together. And we said, well, maybe we can, um, we'll, we'll see what God does here in this new place. And we rented that apartment, and everything was going good for about a month. After about a month, I think it was on a Tuesday afternoon, uh, one of the men were there at the church. He was studying, and he heard a knock at the door. He went back and opened the door, and it was a police officer. 
And he said, we heard that there was a lot of noise coming from this apartment last night, and we want to know what's going on. And make a long story short, they end up finding out that a, a Bible study or a church was, was being planted here. And so the church was going to have to find a new place to meet again. And up to this point in our ministry, we don't have time for all of the stories this evening, but we've already been in a police raid. We've already had police come in and confiscate money, tithes and offerings from the church. The church has already had to move in different locations because the police came and take the members down to the police station. And they've already gone through many uh, types of persecution up to this point. And again, we find our, ourselves asking God, okay, God, what's next? And one of the things that I learned about that as going through persecution is I learned this. Is that when you're right there in the midst of the persecution and you're asking God why, you ought to continue to have faith. Because sometimes in the midst of the storm, you can't exactly know what God is doing. You can't see the bigger picture of what God is doing at the moment. But as, you, as, as the time goes by and you continue to have faith, you're able to step back and see that God was by your side the entire time. And God was working it for your good. And we said, okay, God, where do we go from here? And when I say a city of six million people, what that means is everything that we're, we're working in is an urban setting. We lived on the first floor of a 15-story building. Directly across from us was a 30-story business building. And I went on that business building one day on the way home, and I said, uh, do you have anything available to rent in here? And they said, we do, but it's on the 25th floor. And I thought to myself, I don't know if anybody that's ever playing at a church on the 25th floor, amen? But we'll go look at it. And so we went up and we looked at it, and it was perfectly laid out for what we needed in a church. And we ended up renting that space. And we moved in there, and we started seeing God bless even more. We started seeing more unbelievers come. As we continue to have more faith, God continued to bless and about four and a half years ago, we had enough believers to be able to organize the church into Grace Baptist Church there in Dalian, China on the 25th floor. And that's an exciting thing, amen? And you've got to ask yourself, why, why is it so exciting to plant churches on the mission field? Well, why do you love your church? You love your church because you get to come here and you get to listen to the preaching of the Word of God. You, you come here and you get to worship together and you have the fellowship of the brethren. And you're encouraged to go out and to reach your community with the gospel. And that's exactly what China needs, amen? They need a place where they can go and hear the preaching of the word of God. And they can encourage and worship, each, uh, worship uh, together and encourage one another to go out and to reach their own people with the gospel. After about two more years, God started finally calling some men out of our ministry into the ministry. And then we spent the next two years training those men uh, to take over the ministry. So about nine, ten months ago, when we left the country of China to come back on furlough, uh, we were able to turn the work over to the national pastor uh, that was raised up there in the church. Uh, so we praise the Lord for that. And uh, since we've been gone, I think they've said they've seen about 17 people saved um, since we've been gone. Amen? Uh, so maybe I'll just stay gone a little bit longer. Uh, but it's exciting to see that the work has continued to go forward. And uh, in January of this year, they've gone through some persecution. And you won't see this in the video because the video was made before the persecution. Uh, but basically in January, the police ended up trying to do an attempted raid on the place where they were meeting. Uh, they had to move. And uh, two of the men were actually arrested, taken in for questioning. One of the men was actually beaten, trying to get information out of him and put in jail for 48 hours. 
And both of those men are still serving Jesus today, amen? And so there is a price to pay. And people say, when you go over there, isn't that putting their lives in danger? And I'll have to sit there and think about it for a minute, and I realize that their life is a lot more in danger on their way to hell than ever it is in the path of following Christ, the path of persecution. And so we're going to show the video now, and as, as we prepare the video, understand this. Pretty much all of the video was taken on my iPhone or one of my cameras. And the reason I tell you that is because I want you to know that this is a real place. This is our reality. And as you watch the video, I, I, I pray that you'll have two re responses to the video. Number one is praise. God has done great things in the country of China, and as you see the fruit that God has given uh, us, I want you to praise God with us, because he's truly worthy for the great things he's done. And then I want you to pray, because there's still so much more to be done. We praise God, we're on furlough, we get to go around and tell churches what God has done in the country of China, but at the same time, our, our, our hearts yearn to get back there and continue to work and start more churches and train more men and see more people saved, because there's still millions who have never heard. And we want to go tell them. And we want you to tell them. And we want you to get involved. And so praise God with us, but also be praying as the video starts. To know Jesus and to make him known. That is the reason we wake up every day, to joyfully live for the glory of Jesus' name. On Sunday morning, many will get on a bus and travel varying distances. Once they arrive at the destination, they get off and enter a very tall building. They get on the elevator and take it to well over the 20th floor. From this high up, you have an amazing view of the city. But they didn't come here to see the view. They came here to know Jesus and to make him known. To accomplish this mission, we set forth to make disciples, plant churches, and train leaders. Fear often cripples the well-intentioned. Thus, as we started this amazing journey through radical obedience to God's Word, we had to challenge the status quo, and God has done incredible things. Glory to His holy name. We are the Tolson family. We have served in China for about seven years with Vision Baptist Missions. Our desire, our passion, our mission is to teach the nations to know Jesus and to make him known. We were made for this. Of course, as missionaries, we thank the Lord for the work that has been accomplished. But there is so much we haven't done yet. This amazing adventure isn't over. 
is just beginning. We need more churches to partner with us, more believers to faithfully pray for us, and we need more families to surrender their lives and join us. Will you? You open your Bibles in Numbers chapter 16, Numbers chapter 16, and I hope there at the end you can sense that sense of urgency to get the gospel around the world. And that's what I want to speak to you about this evening is the urgency of missions. I'm afraid that oftentimes that we get, in, we get busy with our lives and in many of our churches we lose the urgency to see the world reach with the gospel. We lose the urgency to see people saved. We lose the urgency to go out and go soul winning and to see people saved and escape hell. But right here in Numbers chapter 16, there's a story that helps remind us of that urgency. The story is going to help us see that we need to go out and we need to reach people with the gospel as fast as we can. What's going on here in Numbers chapter 16 is basically, here's the background, there's a man who rebels against God and because he rebels against God, he gets other men to rebel against God with him, and uh, he starts sinning and gets more people to follow him, and eventually all the congregation of Israel is sinning against God, and they're following what this man's doing. And God's judgment comes down upon them, but God spares the congregation of Israel. And you think that Israel, because they were spared from God's wrath in that moment, that they would be thankful for God's mercy. But instead of being thankful for God's mercy, they start complaining. And that's where we pick up in verse 41. Chapter 16, verse 41, the Bible says, But on the morrow all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, Ye have killed the people of the Lord. And it came to pass when the congregation was gathered against Moses and against Aaron, that they looked toward the tabernacle of the congregation, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the congregation, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Get you up from among this congregation, that I may consume them as in a moment. And they fell upon their faces. As you see here, because of their sin against God, God looks at Moses and Aaron, he says, I'm going to consume the congregation of Israel. And as soon as Moses and Aaron, as soon as they hear this, their immediate response is to fall on their face before God. And I thought to myself, why is that their response? As you read it in Scripture, it's almost as if they didn't even think about it, they just fell on their face before God. And I think it's because of this, that they believed that when God said something, He would do it. They took God at face value. God looked at them and just said, I'm going to consume them as in a moment. And they knew God means what he says. They knew that God was going to do it. They knew that the plague was going to start at any moment and start taking lives. And so they get down on their knees and they get on their face before God. And I imagine they're begging God for mercy. And you and I, when we think about the world that we live in, the world that needs the gospel, we also know a sobering truth about it, that if somebody doesn't know Jesus Christ, they'll be eternally separated from God. And that is a humbling truth. 
a truth that ought to cause us to go on our face before God and beg for mercy for those who have yet to hear, for those who have yet to believe and put their faith in Jesus Christ. In the country of China, a country of 1.4 billion people, the death rate is right around 20,000 people a day. 7 million people a year. I came from the state of Georgia. Georgia has around 10 million people, so about every year and a half, the entire state of Georgia, their population dies in the country of China. And it's a task that's too big. And we think about that, and you say, you say Mark, why do you tell us those statistics? They're, 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 they're too big. We can't fully comprehend them, and I understand that. I live in the country, and I, from the 25th floor, you can look out and you can see the city, and you see skyscraper after skyscraper after skyscraper. And I ask myself, God, what can I do? And I realize that it's good for us to be overwhelmed a little bit. That Moses and Aaron, they didn't look at God and say, God, why did you tell us that all the congregation is going to be consumed? And God looks at us and says, if all the world doesn't hear, if they don't know Christ, they're going to die and go to hell. They're going to be consumed as well. And their response was to fall on their face. In church this evening, I want to challenge you and say, can we fall on our face before God? And beg for God to raise up more missionaries. Beg God to raise up more men and women to go out and preach the gospel. We understand one very clear truth that, that if a person is to believe, they need to hear. And as we, as, we, as we see this story, we see it as an illustration to help encourage our, our urgency for missions. We understand that prayer is important. It's the bedrock. We need to pray for missions. We need to pray, pray for countries around the world. We need to pray for our lost loved ones. But we can't just stop there. If all the churches around America spent the next year praying and nobody ever went out witnessing, nobody would get saved. Romans 10 is very clear that faith comes by what? And hearing by the word of God. And so we need men and women to go forth and to proclaim the gospel. When people hear, they can put their faith and the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And so there's an action to our prayers. That prayer sets our heart on the right things. That prayer puts our heart in tune with God's mission. And when we get in tune with God's mission, we got to get up off our knees and we got to go. We have to take action. And Moses and Aaron, they knew the same truth, that they couldn't just stay there on their face or their countrymen would die. So look in verse 46. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer, and put fire then from off the altar, and put on incense, and go quickly into the congregation, and make an atonement for them, for there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague is begun. And I want you to imagine this story in your mind like you're watching a movie. All of a sudden the plague begins and it's moving through the congregation. And as it's moving through the congregation, people are literally losing their lives. They are dying there on the spot. And Moses and Aaron, they know something. 
they have some understanding, they have some knowledge. They said if there's an atonement made, it will appease the wrath of God. And so, yes, at the news, they fall on their face because it seems like it's a task that's too big for them to do anything about. But then they remember they need to make an atonement. And Moses looks at Aaron and says, Aaron, go. Get everything needed and make that atonement. So God's wrath will be stayed. <coughs> As Moses looked at Aaron, Aaron had to choose what he's going to do. As we look around the world, we understand that they have a problem as well. And their, 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 their plague isn't one like this, but it's a plague of sin. And that one day they're going to die. But at the same time, we understand that there's hope. As saw that there was hope in the atonement, that you and I can see that there's hope for the world in the atonement of Jesus Christ. Now, unlike this story, you and I, we do not have to go and make the atonement. Because everything a person needs to be restored and reconciled unto God has already been accomplished in Jesus Christ. Amen? He's already come and lived the perfect life that you and I cannot live. And he willingly died on the cross for you and I. And he rose again from the dead so that we could be justified. And so there's only one thing left to do. To tell them. To let them hear. To give them a chance to believe. Look at verse 47. And Aaron took as Moses commanded. And what did he do? He walks. He goes home and turns on Netflix. The Bible says he ran into the midst of the congregation. He didn't just run, but he ran directly to the target where he needed to go. The Bible says he ran into the midst of the congregation, and behold, the plague was begun among the people, and he put on incense, and he made the atonement for the people. He stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stayed. So imagine this, the plague's going through. Aaron gets what he needs and he takes off running and he runs directly into the midst of where the plague is taking lives. And he makes that atonement. As soon as that atonement's made, the plague stops. And their lives are spared. Verse 48 says he stood between the dead and the living. And you ask yourself for a moment, you say, yeah, but look at all those people who still died. And if you go on to the next verse, you see 14,700 died. But I imagine that everybody on the living side would say, Aaron, thank you for coming. Thank you for getting here on time. And you say, Mark, the task seems too big, and I understand we have a big task. How can we make a difference? You make a difference by reaching one person at a time. Aren't you glad somebody reached you? Aren't you glad somebody said, well, the task is too big, I'll just ignore it and go home. Aren't you glad that somebody ran to you with the gospel and got to you in time? And you see that sense of urgency from Moses who tells Aaron to go quickly. And you see Aaron translates that as running. He says, i got to get there as quick as I can. And he runs right into the middle of them. 
And so what do we need in our generation? In our generation, we need men and women to stand up and say, I'll take the gospel and I'll run into the dark places of the world and I'll hold Jesus high and lift it up. Listen, it's not about you. You don't have to make the atonement. You just got to go and you have to preach Christ. And he will draw all men unto himself. He ran into the mist. And he saw God do a work. And lives were spared that day. And I get overwhelmed simply at the thought of China and realizing that 20,000 people will die today. I can't make a difference right now because I'm not there. And it can be discouraging when you think about how many lost people are in the world. And if we focus on that, if we focus on how big the task is, and we focus on how little we are, we're going to say, I just can't do anything. We just want to give up. But I think uh, thinking about the task is good. If you think about it in the right way. Call it a holy burden. Have you ever had somebody in your family who's been sick and needed a lot of care? And what do you do? It's a burden on you, and you end up having to quit your job or move your schedule around or work nights so you can be over there during the day. And you're over there, and you're taking care of this family member, and you're, you're changing your whole life around, and you're, you're there, and it's hard, and it's a burden on you. But you're like, i got to do this because I love this person, and i got to take care of them. They would do the same thing for me. And when we think about this holy burden, we think about the loss around the world, we let it sit on our shoulders for a little bit. It shouldn't discourage us. I think most of us don't even want to think about it, so we just take that burden off and we lay it over to the side. We say it's too much. But I think this burden, as we put it on us, this holy burden will drive us to our knees and say, God, I can't do it. And we're going to have to say, God, I'm going to have to change my life if I'm going to make a difference. God, I'm going to have to do more than what I was doing. God, I'm going to have to be witnessing more than I was witnessing. God, I'm going to have to be giving more than I was giving. If we're really concerned about the world, we've got to say, God, here's my life. I want to do something to make a difference in their life. Because if I didn't have the gospel and they did, I would want them to come after me. We make a difference one life at a time. It's interesting in verse 49, now they that died in the plague were 14,700. It gives you an exact number. Why didn't they just say a bunch of people died? Because every life matters. Every life matters. In the country of China, I'll give you a quick story. We, on Sunday morning, we had a kids club. And we did the kids club before the Sunday morning service. And we did the kids club in English as an outreach to the community. And they saw it as a good work because we would do basically Sunday school in English. But they saw it as us teaching their children English and for free. And so they said, man, you're, you're teaching a free English class. We love this. Thank you for doing this. And man, they, they just really enjoyed that. We had a lot of lost people coming to the kids club. And right after, about 15 minutes after the, the kids club finished, we'd have the Sunday morning service. It was all in Chinese, all the preaching and teaching and music. We did everything in Chinese. 
And we'd always encourage them, hey, you came to this, we'll stay for this as well. And almost everybody would at least stay one time and hear the gospel preached in their language. And one day we had a young mom and her daughter come. And they came to the kids club and then came to the church service. And after the church service, she came and found me and she said, uh, Pastor, I just want to talk to you for a minute. I said, okay. She says, uh, we really enjoyed the kids club. My daughter really enjoyed coming and my daughter really enjoyed uh, coming to the church and, and making friends with your daughter, daughters. And she said, but I didn't really like the service. And she said, actually, I just didn't like your preaching. And that's always a blessing, amen? <laughs> and she says, I'm a Buddhist, and the things that you are saying up there and the things that I believe are not the same. And that's when I knew I really learned Chinese, amen? That I wasn't confusing the two. And she says, but we want to keep on coming, but I don't want to participate in the service. She says, can I just sit back in the nursery? And I thought about it for a minute, and I said, well, as long as her daughter keeps on coming and we're preaching the gospel to her daughter, doesn't seem to be a problem. I said, you can do that. And she started doing this for uh, a couple weeks, and after a couple weeks go by, and she's doing this, I'm, I'm, I'm getting the thought in my mind, if she's going to do this every single week, then we need to start piping the service into the nursery, amen? We need to go buy a camera and a long cord and a TV and, and get that service in there. So we went and bought all that, got all that set up, and she was actually okay with it. She comes in and sees it, she says, okay, because I'm not participating in the service. But you and I, friends, we know something. When the word of God is preached, it changes lives. And her life, her life started to change. And God started working in her heart. And slowly she would start coming to the services and coming to their activities. And it got to the point, if you came to China at the time, you would have thought that she was a church member, but she wasn't saved yet. She was just coming to everything. And me and my wife would go visit her and try to witness to her at her house and answer her questions. And finally one day I get a phone call. She says, Mark, I've trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. And that was a wonderful day. But her story gets better. Time goes on and she's growing in Christ. And she came to find me at church one day and she said, Mark, she says, something really weird happened to me when I got saved. I said, all right, I'm ready for this one. Tell me about it. She says, you know, I went through a divorce. And I said, yeah, I know about it. She says, I had all this bitterness and this hatred in my heart towards my ex-husband for all the things he did to me. She says, but when I got saved, all of that bitterness and all of that hatred, it went away. She says, it's not in there anymore. And she says, actually, I kind of pity him. She says, I think he did all of those bad things because he doesn't know who Jesus is. And if he knew who Jesus was, he wouldn't do those things. So I think he needs to know who Jesus is. So I think you're on to something. And I want you to think about her story in relation to the story here in Numbers chapter 16. If we're going to follow that as a, as a small little guideline on what we ought to do and have an urgency, she had an urgency for her ex-husband. And the first step is to fall on her face and, and to pray to God. So start praying for your ex-husband. And she started praying for him. But if we're following what's going on here in the, in, the, in the text, and we're using it as an illustration on what we can do, we know that we can't just stay on our face. We have to get up and we have to go. We have to take action. 
said, not only do you have to pray for him, but you need to go witness to him. And she started witnessing to her ex-husband. She started sharing the gospel with him. One day I get a phone call. She says, Mark, are you at the church? I said, I am. She says, I've been witnessing to my ex-husband, and he's, he's almost ready to get saved, but I'm not sure I'm saying everything okay. Can I bring him by the church and you guys make sure? I said, no, I'm too busy right now. No, I said, yes, come to the church. She brought him to the church, and the Chinese pastor took him and sat him down and led him to Christ. And he got saved. But the story gets better. Because the entire time in the background was a little girl. And that little girl used to see her mom and dad who didn't live together. Knew something was wrong in the house. And she would see mom worship idols, little Buddhas, and pray to a false god. And all of a sudden they started coming to this place called a church and they started hearing about a man named Jesus. And all of a sudden one day her mom trusted in Jesus. And this little girl's in the background and she's coming and she's hearing the gospel being preached and she's singing the same songs and the same hymns that we're singing and she sees her mom's life's changed and all of a sudden mom stops praying to Buddha. And every night they, she would bow down with her daughter and pray to Jesus. What a witness that was to that little girl. And she's coming to church and she's hearing the preaching of the gospel and God is slowly working in this little girl's life and then all of a sudden out of nowhere... Her dad comes to church and gets saved. And a couple weeks later, that little girl professed Christ as her Lord and Savior. And nine, ten months ago, right when we left, before we left China, we were able to baptize that little girl and her daddy there on the 25th floor. God's done great things, amen? And it's an exciting thing. But we got to have an urgency about us. We had to see that, that, that the plague of sin and death was coming directly for this family. That it was moving directly towards them and sin was already trying to destroy their lives and make them bitter. But instead it made them humble. And all of a sudden somebody came and ran with the gospel. And the gospel got there in time. And they believed. And their lives wasn't just spared for a day as it is in the story, but it's spared for all eternity, amen? And their lives were changed. One of the other men that we were training, actually the man that I, I spoke about earlier who got arrested and was put in jail and was beaten. He first came to our church, and uh, when I first met him, he was already a believer. He had been saved and he had been baptized, but he had never been discipled. And he was actually, when I met him, he was, for, he was living in sin and he, he, he didn't really know how to live for God. He, he knew a couple things that he ought to be doing, but nobody had ever told him what he ought to do. So we started showing him in the Bible how to live for Christ, and he started living for Christ and started growing and wanted to be in the ministry and started training for ministry. And I asked him about his testimony. How did you get saved? And he told me his testimony, how he got saved, that somebody had given him the gospel. And he says he went home and told his dad, and when he told his dad, his dad looked at him and said, Son, we Chinese don't believe like that. And so basically you're going to have to make a decision. You choose your family or you choose this religion. His dad didn't understand anything about it, but he knew it wasn't the Chinese way. 
and just being young in his faith and just believing, that young man looked at his dad and said, well, then I guess God's going to have to be my father. And his dad rejected him as his son. And years go by. He's now in our church and he was growing and training for ministry. And one day his dad calls him and he's married by this time. And says, we're going to come up for the Chinese New Year. And Chinese New Year is the biggest holiday in China. And what that means is, it means we're going to come live with you for a month. And so he said, okay, you and mom, you can come. You can live with us for a month during the holiday. And we were really excited. Because like, maybe he'll come to church. And he came and he moved up. And he came to church once, but didn't really seem super interested. And we just had another missionary arrive on the field that we were supposed to help with language school. And it was in the middle of the holiday. And so we couldn't find anybody to be a teacher. So I asked this young man, I said, would your dad be interested in helping him learn Chinese? He says, well, I can ask him. And so he went and asked him, and his dad agreed to it, because he's, he's just there for the holiday. He don't have anything going on during the day. And every day they would sit down and study for four hours and just go over Chinese and learn. But what we forgot to tell them is that one of those hours was going to be reading the Bible in Chinese. Because the missionary needed to learn how to say biblical words in Chinese. Amen? And so now we have a Chinese father who's rejected his son for believing in Jesus, teaching an American missionary how to say God loves you in Chinese. If this isn't a formula for God to do something great, I'm not sure what is. And the month goes by. And he comes to church on and off. And right before he gets ready to leave the next day, I, I told this young man, I said, I just, I just feel burdened about your father. I want him to, I'm going to invite him to come over to the church and sit down and just clearly present the gospel to him to make sure he understands before he goes back. We want everybody to have a chance. And I know he's come to church and I know he's heard it, but I, we want to give it to him one on one. And he came to the church and he sat down. And I just told him, I said, this is my heart. I want to share with you that we've all sinned against God. And he said, yeah, I know. I said, but the Bible says because of our sin that there's a price for our sin and there's a penalty for our sin that's going to be death and you're going to die one day. And he says, yeah, I know. And I said, and, 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 and the, punish, the ultimate punishment is be eternally separated from Christ for all eternity and go to hell. He says, yeah. I said, but there is good news. I said, Jesus died for us, and he loves you, and he said, and he rose again from the dead, and I said, yes, he did rise again from the dead, and, and that's so we can be justified, and I'm explaining the gospel to him, and I said, but it's not automatic, you have to put your faith in Jesus, and he says, yeah, there's no other way. I said, no, no, you don't understand. I said, I said you can't believe in Jesus and also in Buddha and in these traditional ways. You've got to believe in Christ alone. And he said, who else is there to believe in? And he bowed his head and accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior. And God saved him. And you ask me, is it worth it going over to China and spending eight years of your life? It's worth it, Amen. And I want you to think about those stories. And I want you to ask yourself, God, what can I do to run a little bit faster? 
God, help me to run like Aaron. Listen, this is a result of missions. I'm simply just a missionary who went around to raise support and said, God, I'll do what you told me to do and partner with churches. And we, and we, we did this together. We went forward. And those churches now, they can say, look, we've started churches in China. And we've seen souls saved in China. It's a partnership between local churches and missionaries to see the job get done. Amen. So if you're not involved in missions, get involved. Because it's truly making a difference. Those aren't just stories that are made up, but those are true stories of lives that are changed. Because somebody gave so the missionary could go, so the gospel could be preached. Get involved. And when you get involved, you change lives. And lives that are going to be a change for all eternity. And once that, that young man's father got saved, we saw revival for the next six weeks in China. It was almost every service we were seeing people get saved. Old people, young people. People coming to church for the first time. People that have been coming to church for two years and haven't gotten saved. And God just started doing a work. And listen, God can use you to do great things. You can have the exact same story. The only difference is, is you got to open your mouth and you got to share the gospel. Amen. We got to go out and say, God, here am I. Use me. And I understand that when you share the gospel, you get nervous. And people look at me and they say, Mark, you're a missionary to China, so you must be super bold. And actually, I'm not. Every time I share the gospel, I get that same nervous feeling that you get. You know, that feeling where you're like, all right, I want to go share the gospel. I'm being burdened right now. This is the Holy Spirit wants me to do this. But maybe I'll just take a track out of my pocket, leave it right here, and that person will walk by, pick up the track, read it, get saved, and become a missionary. Right? That's our, we, we try to think of everything that we can do to get out of actually going and verbally sharing the gospel with somebody. Because we get nervous. And I realized one thing. Oftentimes that nervousness doesn't go away. If you only shared the gospel ten times or you shared it thousands of times, it's still there. And I realized if I was going to be used of God that it wasn't boldness that I needed, but it was obedience. God, here am I. I'm nervous. I don't know what to say. I have to say this in a second language that I'm not very good at. And so, God, i got to trust you. Here, I'm going to take that step of faith. Here I go. And as you take that step of obedience in the midst of that nervousness and you start sharing the gospel, you're going to find that's where the boldness is. And all of a sudden, you get emboldened and the Holy Spirit works in your life and he fills you and you start saying things you didn't know that you are going to say and you start repeating scripture you didn't know you are going to say and you think of other things and the Holy Spirit's helping you as you share the gospel. Because he's for you. And he wants you to share the gospel. He wants to help you. But he's not going to force you. He needs a willing vessel. And he says, I want to use each one of you. If you'll just come and follow after me. And so this evening, can we renew that urgency to see the people saved? Can we renew that urgency to see the world reach with the gospel? And I don't know where, 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 what you need this evening if it's, God, I need to give more so I can do more because you bless me financially. 
Maybe you put it, put it in a place of influence and you say, God, help me to open my mouth so I can preach the gospel more to those around me. Or maybe God's working in your life to be a missionary. If God doesn't call missionaries out of our churches, where is he going to call them from? We want to see the world reach with the gospel. We don't have enough missionaries that have already surrendered. And so maybe God's working in your life. Maybe God's done something special in your life. And you say, God, I know you've been working on me, and I, I'm here, and I'm willing, but I never made it public, or I, I, I haven't been fully willing to surrender. God, here's my life. Use me. I'll go. I'll give my life. You say, what's the difference between a missionary and a church member? Church members fully involved here in your local church and reaching your local community. You've been called to, to, to get a job and go work hard and respectful and take care of your family and to work in your local church. But a missionary has been called to say, hey, I'm going to forsake my neighborhood where I grew up. I'm going to forsake traditional occupations. I'm going to forsake my family. And I'm going to move to the other side of the world to share the gospel. So whichever it is, we've all been called to receive the world reached with the gospel. Will you? Heavenly Father, 